0: couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, a man who went through what he thought was downsizing, turned out to be right-sizing. Remember him? Name was, uh, anybody know the name? Gideon, yeah, okay. And then uh, I heard Clay talk about a lady of the night who got on the right road. Uh, two weeks ago, yeah? You know her name? Oh, D- Clay, they do know, Clay, they know, wherever you are, yeah, Rahab, okay. And then there was uh, I think it was somebody like Mother Teresa and uh, let's see, uh, the operations manager in your job. Mary and Martha, okay. Today we're gonna go look at somebody who uh, uh, turns out to be a hero like the others do. Doesn't look like a hero. In fact, is kind of surprised that uh, she's a hero as was the case especially with Gideon and maybe the others as well in some sense, but uh, uh, she's an unsung hero. We never see a, a book with her name on it, except in the Bible, and that's only at one spot. She only shows up in one place, very short description of her and her life. In fact, by the time she shows up, she's dead. So how do you like that? She's raised from the dead, so don't, don't, uh, don't be saddened by that. She's raised from the dead, Peter prays for her, and God raises her from the dead. But she is known by something that it seems to me would be a great tagline on your, your uh gravestone. Okay, if you're planning your gravestone, you might want to write this down because she would. She had a description about her that I would love to have written on my gravestone, though I don't think it's going to be there. She was known as somebody who was always doing good and what is it? Giving to the poor. Always doing good and giving to the poor. Quite a description, huh? Maybe not the one that fits you, maybe not the one that fits me, but one that if God is keeping a list of what he is most fond of, I think this description is somewhere near the top, you know? And, and maybe ought to be more a part of uh, my life, and I suspect it should, and maybe your life as well. But most of us, if this doesn't really get to our gravestone, it's because we have reasons why we aren't able to do this. Excuses, maybe. You know, the reason excuse excuses, I won't label yours, I know mine are, are more often excuses. Uh, one of the things that keeps me from taking care of people in need is uh, I don't have many people like that in my life. I, I, drove from, I drove from Basking Ridge to Summit today, 30 minutes or 25 minutes, I didn't see anybody in need. Now most of us, unless you go to the city and you work there, or you go into Newark, or you, or you go to the outlying area. But, but, but unless, you, unless you do some of those things, you don't, you don't have contact with people in great need, do you? In fact, we in some sense, we kind of insulate ourselves so that we don't have too much contact with people in great need, because that's very uncomfortable. And so we'd, we'd really rather not. One of the other reasons we give, I think, some of us is, I don't know where to start. You know, yeah, I know there are people who have need, but I just don't know where to start. I mean... I get the emails. I know about the fraud. I know about the scams. And I'm not going to give away my, I work too hard for my money. I'm not going to give away my money. And, and all of a sudden it goes someplace and it's misused and not used in the ways that God had uh, designed it for. And so I'm not going to do that. And, and then there's also at least some of us who don't trust people uh, who are on the margins of life. Now, we don't say that out loud. But... Uh, Way in the back of our minds, there's this, uh, there's this statement, ah, oh, they probably are there because they deserve to be there. They didn't take advantage of the opportunities they had. Yeah, something wrong there. And, and if I, if I give them my money and I do something like that, they're, they're going to misuse it. So, so I don't have to do anything. is that nice? Yeah. Yeah. We're getting into the excuses and not into the reasons, aren't we? I, I don't remember saying those things, honest, I don't. Maybe I did somewhere along the line, but i, I don 't remember saying them in recent years but but the thought is back there someplace you know and, and and I can surface it if I need to, and that makes me feel badly about my own response to what God says, because I think if I look at the Bible very closely, I find that God has some some pretty strong opinions about what I need to do with people in my life and outside my life who have needs, people living on the margins of life. You can use the word poor people. That doesn't grab the whole picture. Let me talk more about people who are living with less, and uh, whether it's their fault or not their fault. I'm not even getting into that. That that has nothing to do with it. Just people who are living with less, and what my responsibility is towards folks who are in those those, uh, spots of life, because the Bible talks about it all the time. Jim Wallace was an evangelical activist, a guy who really prodded a lot of us who'd like to sit on the back seat. Uh, He was in seminary, and I guess he's about my age, I'm not sure, but he he was in seminary. And during the days he was in seminary, he became aware that there's an awful lot in the Bible about people who are living on the margins of life. And so he and some friends decided they were going to take their Bibles and they were going to underline the passages uh, in which there's oppression or poverty or injustice and those, those kinds of things that that encapsule people, enslave people so often in the world. And he found that there were a lot of places that talk about those things in the Bible. In fact, he found there were 2,000 of them. And so he and his friends underlined all those places in the Bible. And then imagine this. They took the scissors that they had and they cut the pages from the Bible or the portions from the Bible that were underlined. And so when Wallace would go around and talk about it, he'd open up his Bible and it was missing major sections of text because there's so many of those places in the Bible. So I, I come back to the idea that God has some pretty serious ideas about men and women living on the margins of life and my responsibility to reach out to them in any way that I possibly can. So what I'd like to have us do is take a look at this uh, woman, whose name, by the way, is Dorcas, and she's the one of whom it is said that she, uh, she went around doing good and uh, helping the poor, Dorcas. If we're going to do that, we'll have to go to Acts, because Acts chapter 9, verse 36 has that particular passage. Let me read it to you. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. That's the issue. So let's go back. Let's go back. If we want to go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, let's go back to the Older Testament. And as we go back to the Older Testament, we'll find that there are many, many passages, as I mentioned before. In fact, most of the prophets were talking to God's people about these issues. But when I went back to the Bible, I couldn't help but go back to the prophet Isaiah, because it seems to me he has so much to say about it, about the, the God of Israel and his perspective concerning men and women who are living with needs. What does he care about? And what's he say about it? And Isaiah is one of those places where he says an awful lot about it. Isaiah lived around 600 years before the time of Jesus. He was in the what we know of as the southern kingdom of the people of God, called Israel, but really it's in the area of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom, their cousins up in the northern area of the, of the land, that was called Israel proper as a country. They had been beaten down by the Assyrians and taken captive by the Assyrians and taken to Assyria and were held captive there because God brought judgment upon, Assyria, upon Israel, the northern kingdom, for their neglect of the poor and of justice issues and of uh, uh, genuine worship of the living God in the midst of life. So, so the folks down in the south, in Judah and the city of Jerusalem, they were, boy, they were working overtime to get things right with God, because they were afraid that the same thing was going to happen to them, that it happened to their cousins up in the north, and and they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. So that's what we come to in Isaiah chapter 58. And in fact, it is God speaking when he tells Isaiah what to say. He says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, shout aloud, don't be timid, tell my people Israel of their sins. And then verse two, yet they act so pious. You're getting the picture. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. So as far as the people in Jerusalem were thinking, we look pretty good, you know? We're doing all the right things. But it wasn't real. They were doing all the right things on the surface on the outside, they look good, but what was going on in the heart was far from good. And so Isaiah goes on from there and spends a couple of verses in which he tells us about their superficial faith. He says they dress up in their Saturday best. They go to the temple. They take care of the sacrifices. They fast. They eliminate certain things from their diet and even from their clothing according to the law. But God says that's not the issue to the people of Israel. In fact, in verses 6 and 7, we get a peek into God's heart about this whole issue, and this is what they say that he cares about. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Verse 7, he says, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless, Give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. So what happens if we do that? He goes on to talk about it. Verse 8, then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression, stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. You help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring, a well-watered garden. That sounds good. And, and when will that happen? Well, that'll happen when the hungry are fed. That'll happen when the when the people are cared for that'll happen when justice is established and god will hear from heaven and he will answer your prayers and he will pour out his blessing see israel had what is so easily the case in my life and maybe in yours a very diminished definition of what righteousness looks like yeah and none of us are righteous you know god's righteous but None of us are, so, so we tend to get it down to a size that we can manage and is comfortable and easy to take care of, or if there's some sacrifice, it's not too much. That's what Israel was doing. they were reducing the definition of righteousness, and they were saying that righteousness is all about doing the right things in terms of my religious observance, in terms of fasting, in terms of these other issues uh, that were important in themselves, to be sure. But behind that, there is a heart issue towards people in need. That God says, that's the evidence of righteousness. You can do the other things. You should do the other things, he says to Israel. But that's not the proof. The proof that what's going on in your heart is genuine is what you do with people, and especially people who are in need. So God speaks through Isaiah and the other prophets, and he tells them that. You say, okay, that's that's, uh, good. But that's, that's ancient. I mean, that's 2,600 years ago. That's a long time ago. And that's Israel. And we're not Israel. We, we don't live in Jerusalem. We don't live in Judah. What about the church and the poor? Because that's what we call ourselves. We call ourselves the church. What about the church and the poor? Best place I think I can go with that is to show you Jesus' mission statement. You work for a corporate Entity, probably you, you maybe work in a church, you work in a nonprofit organization. Everybody has a mission statement. Well, Jesus had a mission statement, and it's found in Luke chapter 4. He is in the synagogue, his home synagogue, and like any man could do in that day, he stands up to read from the scriptures and then comment on it. It's amazing where he turns. He turns to Isaiah chapter 61 which is then reprinted by the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, and that's where you might have read it before if you've read it. Chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then the Bible tells us that he rolled up the scroll, and he sat down, and as he began to teach them from that passage, he said, today, this is occurring in our midst, right now, because I'm the king, and when the king comes, then the kingdom is there, and the people who align themselves with the king, they need to live like kingdom people, and here's the definition of what it looks like to be a kingdom man or a kingdom woman, it's Jesus it's Jesus giving out his, his mission statement. It's almost as if he's just been elected and he's, he's uh, giving his State of the Union address. And he goes up in front of Congress and he says, this is what we're about. This is who we are. This is what we must be. And he tells them. The funny thing is, verse 22 says that everybody loves him. <laughs> verse 23, he says, you're not going to love me for long. Verse 24, he goes and gives them two examples from the Older Testament of how God reached out to people who were outsiders, not within the people of Israel, and they can't imagine that, and as a result, they hate him. Why would they hate him? Well, because he shredded their excuses, because they refused to do that. They refused to do it among their own people who are in need let alone people who are from other countries and other tribal groups and other, other, other worlds. They, they're certainly not gonna reach out to them and care for them in their need. And so they hate him and eventually they will put him for de- to death for things like this. So the kingdom is proclaimed by Isaiah. This is what it looks like. Jesus comes along as the king and says, this is why I'm here. Now it's not the whole picture. He's gonna die on the cross to be sure. But this is what I want to lead people into doing because this is what the kingdom looks like. And so he describes the kingdom in Luke chapter 4, taking it from Isaiah 61. Well, okay, you've got Isaiah and you've got Jesus. Where does that leave us? Because now we're 2,000 years after the time of Jesus when he declared that. And he read that from Isaiah 61. What is the church to be about today? And I know I can't, I can't possibly say everything that the church is to be about today, but One of the things I might do is take you to one more passage of Scripture, and that's Matthew chapter 25. Because Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaking, and he's giving a picture of what it's going to be at the very end of time. When he comes back, when he establishes his kingdom in its fullness, he says there's going to be a judgment time. And I'm going to separate people. Some are going to go over here, and some are going to go over here. It's not going to be good for those who are over here, but it's going to be good for those who are over here. And he describes the process by which he is going to do the separating. It's in Matthew 25, and it may be familiar to you because you've uh, perhaps heard it in church or outside of church. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me to come in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. bigger picture is of the judgment day, when Jesus will look at people and say, here's what you did. For those who have taken care of other people, in fact, it gets kind of confusing for folks. They say, I didn't give you any food. I didn't didn't give you a place to live. I didn't take care of you when you were sick. He said, ah, and you've heard this part, whether this is your first part in church or not, probably. Yeah, what you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. So it's how we take care of those people living on the margins. And Jesus says, when I take care of those people living on the margins, then then I'm really taking care of him, even though he is not physically here. They are the people that he cares about. Now, does that mean we don't uh, still believe that we get God's pardon through faith, and instead we get it through works? That we somehow accumulate all these good things we've done, and as a result, God says, oh that's enough, you're all set, I forgive you. No, the Bible doesn't indicate that. What the Bible indicates is that we become his children, God's children through faith in Christ. For me, that happened over 50 years ago. June 8, 1966, I remember the moment when it happened beside my bed in a barracks in Japan. What this is talking about is, this is the visible evidence that what happened back on June 8, 1966 for me was real, okay? That, that when I trusted in Christ, my heart was changed, and I began to look not just at myself and what I wanted, but I began to look at the other people who are around me. And God says, that's the visible proof that what happened in your heart was real and is still happening. And if, I, if I want to brag about June 8th, 1966, but I can't see any sense in which that's transformed my attitude toward people around me who have needs where I'm going to sacrifice for them, then then more than likely nothing happened on June 8th, 1966. Because that's a visible sense in which I can see it. People can see it. So do you still believe in the Great Commission? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you believe that, that people have to come to faith in Christ to be a part of God's family? Absolutely. Do you still offer the the, the message of the gospel to people, oh, absolutely, because nobody can get there by the good things they've done. In fact, we've got so many things listed in our, our account that are bad things that we can never even begin to make up for the, good thing, the bad things with the good. Yeah, sure. I, I still need to cross across that line and trust in Christ as my master. but what the Bible says is when that happens, then that's the kind of faith that makes a difference in the way that I treat other people if I am genuinely a follower of Jesus and a disciple of the Son of God, then the Bible says that I'm going I'm to love people well, especially people who can't take care of themselves. So what do you do with that? Well, one thing I'd suggest is you make sure that you're in a church where they're striving to do that, that when you give money, when you sign up for things, th- there is this sense, we... It can't be about us. It has to be about something larger than us. In fact, it has to be about taking care of people wherever they happen to be, whatever their needs are, as much as we possibly can, we're going to help take care of them. Now, I don't know much about Wren Church in terms of details because I'm a visitor. I'm here once in a while when I'm needed, but uh, I know somebody who does. Kristen Hubler is here, and she is going to come, and she's going to answer some questions to give us an idea of how that works at Wren Church, always doing good and helping the poor. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. Kristen, we know you. If we know you at all, we probably know you uh, as the director of children's ministries here at at Wren Church. Yes. But you have a life before that, don't you? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And some of that life, at least... Touches on people living on the margins, people mm-hmm. with less. Tell us about that, give um, us some idea.
1: Yeah, well, before uh, I moved back to New Jersey, I uh, was actually living in Ecuador for a few years, uh, doing different missions work down there. Um, I've also been on various uh, short-term mission trips for one week, two weeks at a time, uh, mostly to Latin American countries, um, Honduras a few times, uh, Dominican Republic, Guatemala, mm. several times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you went down there, sometimes short time, sometimes long-term. Uh, how did you happen to go? And what did it do for you? What did it do in you?
1: Yeah, um, it's actually kind of a funny story because when people get up here and you, know, you talk about missions work or you see people in churches, we automatically assume that they're just like that. You know, We even like put them up on a pedestal or separate them and think, well, I'm a mess, but they're gonna go and do all that work. Um, But my first mission trip, I never even signed up for. I actually, uh, I was in college. I had a friend that was from Guatemala, um, and he had to move back. And so I said to my group of friends, I said, hey, we should go visit Jose in Guatemala for spring break. Uh, So that was my plan. I was thinking, okay, spring break, I'm going to get a pina colada, sit on the beach. This is going to be great. And then my do-gooder friends turned it into a mission trip. (laughs) So I, you know, I had this plan, and then God decided, you know what, nope. We're gonna do something different. And before I knew it, I was there. Instead of being on the beach, I am in the middle of the dump in Guatemala, um, which was just this life-changing experience. Yeah, and I yeah. love telling that part of my story, like I said, because it wasn't anything I chose. It was something that uh, that God really chose for me. And um, and He might choose it for you too, uh, whether you're planning it or not. And when you get that perspective, when you're there, um, and if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with Guatemala City, um, the dump is basically there's garbage and people build their homes out of the garbage. They take whatever they can. And I remember walking down this narrow dirt pathway and seeing all of the eyes of the children peering out mm. through the cracks. Um, and you know, when you see that type of poverty, it changes you. Mm. Um, which is incredible because we know it exists. Yes, you know, right. you hear about it, you read about, read about it, you see pictures, but when you are there getting your hands dirty, um, you can't, it just makes you want to be a part of it to do good yeah, and yeah, serve the poor. Yeah.
0: I, I kind of, I guess I say when I see it on TV or something else, it doesn't register because I can't smell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I, when I can smell it, I say, oh, yeah. I think I'm getting some of it. And that's what you get when you... Mm-hmm. When you you go to those places. Well, transition if you can. Wren Church uh, has a ministry called uh, Ren Cares. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing some good things now. Like, what do you do now for those kinds of needs?
1: Yes, well, we've... Uh if you don't know, Ren Cares is the part of our church where it basically we serve each other. We mm-hmm. have meal trains for people that have just had babies or in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, we serve our community. We do a uh, toy drive every year around Christmas. Um, and that is just so much more than giving toys to needy children. Uh, uh, formerly known as DIFUS, the Division of... Child Protection and Permanency, (laughs) Um, they actually say that it helps prevent child abuse. So it's a huge thing that we do every year. Um, You'll be hearing about that in the fall um, when it gets closer to Christmas time. And then our food drive, which helps um, bring food to kids that show up to school hungry in the surrounding towns. Um, That was actually so successful last year. People um, donated gift cards so the school nurses, we could buy food and bring them to them. It was so successful that uh, they still have a supply from that. So um, that's really great. And then I just got to announce last last week uh, our project with Team World Vision, which is going to bring clean water to Africa. Um, Mm. So if you missed that last Mm. week, it was an incredible opportunity. Mm. We are going to be running a half marathon. Mm. Um, Well, some of us running, some of us walking. (laughs) I'm going to try. We'll see how training goes. Um, But the whole idea is that every $50 donated brings clean water to one person for the rest of their life. Mm. Um, So as a team, we're going to set our own fundraising goals and we're going to try to reach $20,000 because if we do, Ren Cares is going to match that. bringing the total to $40,000, which will bring clean water to 800 people.
0: Wow! Um, wow.
1: And just so if you, you weren't here last week, that money comes from you. If you have ever donated at all to the church, to, uh, put in even a dollar in those gift boxes, um, that's where that 20000 is coming mm-hmm. from. Because as a church, we have decided that we're going to save some of that, that whatever is given to us, we are going to give back. Um, so that's one of the ways we're doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've got some other stuff. So that's actually too. a
0: part of your budget. Here at Wren Church. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. To make
0: sure that there's funds in there for the needs that exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. But this thing about World Vision, that sounds like it's going farther.
1: Yes. It mm-hmm. doesn't,
0: it, I mean, the other is wonderful, but it's pretty local.
1: Yeah. Well, this Je- is stretching. Mm-hmm. Jesus told us, you know, to serve each other, to serve a nation, and to go to the ends of the earth. Yes. Yeah. That's where we're going to go.
0: <laughs> Tell us more. What, 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 what are you dreaming about doing? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, I I feel like I hit the jackpot this month. I get to announce all these awesome things. So we've got Team World Vision and then today for the first time we're announcing that we are partnering with Hope of Life in Guatemala, um, which actually I led a group of high school students yes. from Renaissance a few years ago. So we've kind of been looking at that organization and, but we are officially going to partner with them, mm. um, which means we will be planning a mission trip where all of you get to sign up uh, and actually go down there and see that type of poverty that I was talking about and really make a difference
0: yeah oh Mm -hmm. you know I want to go yeah you too (laughs) I mean you can do that if you want to yeah why don't you clap and thank God for what (laughs) what uh, Renaissance is doing I love that I just love that. Now, how can they get access to information about things
1: like this? Um, Well, I will be around to answer any questions. There's also a clipboard at the info center where you're can. you not making any commitments yet. It's basically just if you think, yeah, I want to go to this mission trip, or I want to be on that leadership team to do the planning, or if you just want to be involved with the toy drive, the food drive, any other Rencares Cares initiatives, you can check off which um, stuff you would like, and I will, myself or um, Jim Bover, our Rencare's Cares director, will email you about that.
0: That's great, so lots of places to get involved. Thanks, yeah. Kristen, I appreciate it. Why don't you make your way back there before they <laughs> clog up the aisles and then you can't get back, okay? The only thing I'd add to that, and, and I do this uh, because I think it's really important, it's easy to have your church do something and to give a dollar, to give 10, to give a 1,000, but not think about this in terms of what God wants you to do with the homeless guy that you pass on the way to work or with a neighbor who just lost his job and can't afford dinner for his family tonight, or with uh, the, the, the people who have problems in the midst of the inner city and, and need mentoring. Young men, young women need mentoring. Um, p- please don't let the church, in its corporate attempts to do what Jesus said, uh, take away the individual responsibility, okay? And don't let the individual take away the corporate, too, we kind of function as individuals, but we also, we also function in this sense of as a church. I want to be like Dorcas. <laughs> That's why I talk about her, because I want to be like her. I'd like to have my tombstone, have that uh, word on the back of it, on the front of it, that I uh, went around doing good and helping the poor. I believe that brings a smile to the, to the mouth of Jesus, and if it brings a smile to the mouth of Jesus, I think that's going to bring fullness of life to me. Yeah? Yeah. Let's pray together, please. Father God, thank you for all the good things that are going on. And I just asked uh, Kristen about those questions and those, what's going on with Wren Church. But I, I know, Lord, that there's people here sitting in these chairs who are uh, doing other things for men and women in need. Some of it's close. Some of it's far. Some are about as stretched as they can possibly be, Lord. And I don't want to lay a guilt trip on them. But I pray that we all might hear your voice. And if that voice says you're, you're just about where you need to be right now, just stay there and keep on doing it. That, that's wonderful, Lord. But if there are others of us who need to hear your voice, voice of the Holy Spirit, who says you need to get going on this, you've got some other good things going in your life, but you need to make sure that this is a part of it. Would you prod us? Would you move us? Would you remind us? Would you uh, give us those open doors and help us to pursue open doors that we might be a part of your great plan and your kingdom work in the midst of the world. Thank you for this simple woman who uh, is noted in Scripture so briefly, but yet in such a powerful manner. Uh, Would you make her legacy uh, be desirable in our hearts as well? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.